Okay. Uh, how's everybody doing tonight? I'm Dustin. Welcome to Revolution Church. If this is your first time here, we're glad to have you here. Um, a little bit of news. Um, this has been a big week. I don't know if anybody saw, um, but I'll just kind of recap a little bit of the information. Okay, so last year, Japan built a giant fighting robot. This year, America builds a giant fighting robot and challenges Japan to a fight on YouTube. It goes down in one year, and I'm so excited. Call me a man-child if you want. Um, also, Dave's getting married in like seven days, so there's that. Six days, something like that. Autumn's going to be there, too. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, so it's, it's an open invite, right? Uh, so anybody that wants to come uh, can come. They're going to flash some information up on the screen probably at the end of the service with the information on it. Um, another thing, the cookout is this week, so anybody that wants to come help out can come help out. It's at 706 Campbell Avenue. Uh, we normally try to start at around 6, 6.30, so if you want to show up around, you know, 5.30, 6, something like that, uh, we'd be glad to have you guys. Um, also, small groups, same small groups as we always have. Um, Stephen has a small group directly after this service. Um, they're going through Romans. Uh, Dave has one at his house at 6.30 on Wednesdays. 6, 6, Ryan's at 6.30 on Wednesdays at his house. And Chris Jones has one at uh, the Revolution House at 7 on Fridays. So anybody's welcome to come. Um, So I'll go ahead and pray, and then we'll get started, okay? Um, Father God, we thank you for this time that you've let us set aside to come together and um, worship as the body of Christ together. Uh, We thank you for what you're doing with our church. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives. And we ask you that as we begin to move into the time of learning and worship, that you prepare our hearts for what uh, what we're about to receive. Again, I thank you for everything. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, Chris is going to put some music on. Get up and say hey to somebody. What's up, Revolution? Do it one more time. That was kind of weak. You're late, late to the game on that one. What's up, Revolution? There was still a delay, but you know, whatever. I'll deal with it. So, a little fun fact. I know Dustin said it already. I'm getting married on Saturday. Yeah, that's, I was, yeah, like, whatever, I, that was kind of conceited that I expect you guys to do anything. It's like, yeah, you're like, you know, doing something that you should do. Um, I'm, I am, I am super excited. Uh, at least, you know, like, Lord willing, I'll be married Saturday. Autumn still might change her mind, and I wouldn't completely blame her if she wants to take off, because I am a complete jerk, for those of you who didn't know. Um, no one laughed at that, because apparently everyone does think that part is true. Um, but, no, I'm pretty excited, and, and like, I've been thinking about, like, all the things, like, this is the last thing that I'm going to do single. Like, this is kind of weird. Like, like this is the last sermon that I'm going to preach as a single man, Lord willing. You know what I mean? Like, this is, this, this is really cool for me. So I'm pretty excited, and, uh, and I'm going on my honeymoon. So while I'm gone, next week, Ryan Rolfe is going to be preaching, um, still through Philippians. And then the week after that, we actually have Rick Clark from Christ Community joining us um, to preach. And that's going to be pretty awesome. Now, I'll be back for that one. Um, but suffice it to say, while I'm on my honeymoon, if any of you need to get a hold of me and you call me, I'm not answering my phone. Just throwing that out there. I got bigger fish to fry. Uh, unless someone's dead or dying, leave me alone. Uh, I'm trying to be funny up here, and you guys are like, think I'm being like way too dark, whatever. Um, but anyway, that notwithstanding all that that I just said, um, has nothing to do with the sermon. I'm just excited this, this evening for this sermon, because this is like my favorite thing in the world to preach on, and we're going to get to that in a minute. But as I was thinking, like, how am I going to start this thing? Because this is the most awkward, like, stand in front of a crowd of people and just say, yeah, just start talking. It's, it's strange. It's weird. Uh, I, I was listening to a lot a lot of Black Sabbath 
while I was like writing this sermon. So like some of you probably think that's not okay. And like if you hear me talk about Satan for no reason at all while I'm like telling you guys this stuff, it's probably because I was listening to Sabbath while I was writing the sermon. Um, all right, but I've been listening to a ton of Black Sabbath. So I want to show you guys this. I think that's awesome. That's Ozzy Osbourne. If you don't think that's funny, get a sense of humor. That is awesome. I actually own that shirt. That's obviously not me in the picture. Um, but I own that. I'm just too fat to wear it anymore, but it's a phenomenal shirt. I, I actually never got to wear it because I was always too fat. It was like one of those like goal things. Like, I'm going to lose weight enough to wear this, and that never happened. Because uh, Autumn said she'd marry me, and I was like, it doesn't matter what I look like anymore. Um, <laughs> but I've been listening to Sabbath a lot lately um, because I realized that I had, I had never really given them a shot. Right? Like, I'm a big metalhead, um, and like I had heard like the song Iron Man like, and, and Paranoid, like, and the song Black Sabbath, which is just awesome in and of itself, the band Black Sabbath released the song called Black Sabbath on the album called Black Sabbath, which you could never get away with now because everyone you would, like, would say it's like unoriginal, but I think that is the coolest thing I've ever heard in my life. Uh, and then like the fourth song that I knew was War Pigs, right? But like every metalhead knows those four tunes. Like it's like a rite of passage. Like whenever you like first think, like I heard a really heavy guitar, I heard someone scream, that's like awesome. I think I want to listen to this music. Like an old stoner with an ACDC shirt just like appears in front of you out of nowhere and he's like, here's this record, man, check it out, these four tunes. Like you have to do it. Um, at least that's what happened to me. I don't know, it's kind of weird. Um, I was like, go back to your trailer. Um, but, because I'm in Minford, but whatever. Uh, but, but I had never really, like, studied Black Sabbath's music. Um, I, had, I had never, like, really looked in to see how it shaped all the music that I love. Um, like I said, being a metal head and being in a metal band for five years, and I like all this stuff. Um, but, like, like, those dudes really influenced everything. Like, what's really cool about Sabbath and, is that, like, bands that, like, don't like Sabbath were still influenced by Sabbath. Like, that's how influential they were. And they released their first album 45 years ago this year, which is just insane. Um, so, like, whenever I decided to start listening to them, uh, like, extensively, I was deciding um, consciously to go back to my roots, right? I love metal. Let's go back to, like, the fathers of metal. Um, you know, Ozzy Osbourne, was it Geezer Butler, Bill Ward, and Tony Iommi. Those dudes are legit. Um, but I think it's good in general to go back to where you come from um, and, like, and seeing how far away that metal is from what it started at. Like, it was profitable for me, and it was worthwhile to see what it once was and what it turned into. Um, I know what you're all, like, asking yourself, like, why are you talking to us about the history of heavy metal music and Black Sabbath? Like, we're at church. Like, why are we doing that right now? And I'm glad you asked because um, that helps me get into the next part of my sermon. Um, <laughs> that's because tonight uh, we're going to go back to our roots. Um, we're going to look at the absolute core of our faith. Um, the, the first thing that you need to know as far as Christianity is concerned, and that's how we are saved. And I think it's really good, just like how metal music has, has strayed so far away. I want to make a correlation um, that I think the church in general has strayed very far away from what the Bible teaches about salvation and how we came to be saved and what one must do, or rather what we're going to talk about this evening, what you must not do in order to be saved. We've strayed really far from that as a worldwide church, or, or maybe as a Western church, maybe as an American church. Um, what we're talking about, if you're a theology nerd, it's, it's the doctrine of justification by faith. Justification means being made right in the eyes of God, like, like the man in the video, Matt Chandler, said. Um, this is the core of the faith. So some of you who have been Christians for a while, you're like, yeah, I get it. Well, you know, we've been saved by faith alone. And, and this may seem basic to you, but this is as deep as it gets. Like, there is no doctrine. Like Martin Luther said, that, like, on this belief, the church rises or it falls. 
Like this is what our religion, this is what Christianity is completely founded on. There is nothing greater. All right, so I, I can't stress this enough. I'm, I'm really, really excited. All right, but before we go into Paul's letter to the Philippians, right, and, and continue on this series we're in, um, to see what he says about salvation by faith, I want us to go to another letter real quick for a couple of minutes. It's a letter that Paul wrote about four years before he wrote um, the, the letter to the Philippians. It's the letter he wrote to the Romans. And I, I want to go back to that so that we can have some context of what Paul um, constantly was preaching, what his central message was, right? So, so we're going to go to Romans chapter 3, verses 20 through 28, uh, before we hit Philippians. This is what Paul writes, verse 20. He says, obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given, for its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God, all right? So just real quick, Paul's referring to the Old Testament law. He's referring to all of God's commands that, that you can't kill people, that you can't steal, that you can't covet, that you're to worship God and God alone. You're to seek your comfort in God and God alone. All these commands from the Old Testament called the law, its purpose is to show everyone, to shut everyone's mouth from thinking that they're a good person and show them that in the eyes of God, you have fallen short of this standard. You have disobeyed God. You have rebelled against him and you deserve hell. Paul says that the law shows the entire world that it is guilty. And then he says this, for no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ and this is true for everyone who believes no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. So he says, your obedience could never save you. That was never the point of why God gave commands. It's for you to obey, but it was never meant to save you. It was meant to show you how much you do disobey and how greatly and how how badly that we need a Savior. That our sin deserves hell and we need someone to reconcile us to God, but the law itself can never do that. But God has made a way for us to be made right with him without having to obey the law perfectly, which we cannot do. We've proved that already in our lives. All the things that we think Um, that we just inherently know that we shouldn't have thought, even though no one else knows that we thought them, and the things that we've done, that no one knows that we've done, but we still feel guilt for them. That's not a society thing. Like You feel guilt for those things because you inherently know that there is a God. In your core, deep down in your heart of hearts, you know that there is a God. You know that you violated his commands, and you know that the guilty are punished. That's why you feel guilt. But God has made a way for us to be made right with him without having to be obedient to the law perfectly. It's Jesus. Because Jesus was set forward as a propitiation or a sacrifice, the satisfier of God's wrath for us in our place as a substitute to take what we deserve from God, to take our hell, to take our punishment, and to make us right in the eyes of God. But Paul says, everyone has sinned and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. In verse 24 he says, yet God freely and graciously declares that we are righteous. He did this through Jesus Christ when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he declares sinners to be right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. 
Again, it's when they believe in Jesus, not when they obey perfectly, not when they are, like, like he said, like his moral, their moral stamina has nothing to do with that, how well they can obey, but it's when they believe in Jesus, they are made righteous in the eyes of God. 27, because of this, because Paul has made the case that we have all sinned and we could not right our wrongs. We could not obey God enough to make him forgive us. Because of that, and because that Christ has suffered and we are made right in the eyes of God by believing, he says this. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No. Because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. And we're going to get more on what faith means later. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. I wanted to hit that because we don't hear that enough. It's not our obedience, and we're going to dive deeper into that. Bearing all of of, of what Paul just said in mind, that this was the core of Paul's message, that this is the message of Christianity, that all other religions say you must do this in order to make God love you or forgive you. But Christianity says Jesus has done this, and now you are loved and accepted by God because of what Christ has done, not because of what you have done. This is the one thing that separates us from every other religion, and we don't hear it enough. But now that we have this in our head, let's hit Philippians and see what Paul says. So we're going to be on Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11 this evening. Um, I know it's too dark to use those Bibles out there, but if you're new here or, you know, you've been coming here for a while and you just don't have a Bible or the Bible you have is hard to understand, take one of those home with you. It's free. That is a gift from us to you. But Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, Paul says this, Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. All right, so the first thing Paul says, and he says rejoice a lot in Philippians, but this is the first time he said rejoice in the Lord. And what he means is rejoice in knowing this right standing that you have through your faith in Jesus. Know that that is completely unshakable. You've been made righteous through the eyes of Christ. No one can take that from you. You can't take that from you. Rejoice in that no matter what. No matter what you hear, no matter what anyone tells you, no matter how you feel, take comfort in that. And he says, I never get tired of telling you these things because it safeguards your faith. That means that Paul's getting ready to tell them something that they've heard before, that a lot of us maybe have heard before. And he says, this is good for me to repeat to you because you have to stay on guard, right? which means that there's something that we must be on guard against. Um, and we're going, to see, we're going to see what that is. Paul says, be on guard. He says, watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say that you must be circumcised to be saved. All right, those are the people that Paul's saying, safeguard your faith against these people. Right? This is, this is for, for us. Right? This is people who come to us saying that salvation comes by faith plus works or being good, or obeying God's command, or forget faith. It's just all about being really obedient to what God's commanded. And this is what Paul's trying to protect them from. Right? The people in Paul's time, they were called Judaizers, and some of them still exist today, but they pretty much died out. Um, and they taught that you must obey certain Old Testament ceremonial law in addition to having faith in Jesus in order to be saved. Right? Essentially, they would say you have to be circumcised, which means like you, you have to become Jewish before you can become a Christian. And they were telling this to non-Jews. Um, And that's what Paul was dealing with here. That's why he's talking about circumcision. Um, But Paul fought against these Judaizers and this kind of, you know, faith plus work saves you. He fought against it all the time, right? It's it's a core concept in the book of Romans. It's a core concept. Uh, It's it's the concept of Galatians. And and he's he's hitting it here too. And, And he fought against this by teaching that it is by faith alone in Christ alone that we are saved. To paraphrase Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine, he says, by grace you are saved through faith, And this is a gift so that no man can boast. 
right? But, but why is this important for us? Right? No one is going around demanding to see if we've been circumcised or not, men. At least, I hope not. If anyone's doing that here at Revolution, tell somebody, because um, that's super not cool. Um, <laughs> that was dumb. I don't know why I did that. Um, but no one, no one pretty much is going around telling us um, to obey Old Testament ceremonial stuff in order to be saved. Right, so how is this text, before we even go any further, how is this even going to be relevant to us at all? Um, I would say it's still incredibly relevant to us because we still encounter the same kind of crap today. It's just sneakier. It's, it's harder to spot, and that's because Satan is a great deceiver. There's my Black Sabbath coming through. Satan is a great deceiver. He is, he's cunning. He's crafty. He's shrewd. He sneaks in through the church with people claiming to be Christians or people who are Christians but just don't study the Bible, and he, he messes with them. And he gets them to teach things that, that are contrary to the gospel. Right? We, we might encounter, encounter this kind of thing on the outside. right? Maybe it's not coming from people within this body at Revolution. But we might encounter this kind of thinking that it's faith plus works that saves us from the outside. right? People who, who claim faith plus ritual get you salvation. Right? Some kind of religious ceremony. Like faith plus your baptism is what's going to save you. And without your baptism, your faith is null and void and it's not going to save. Or that faith plus saying the sinner's prayer at an altar at a church camp somewhere probably is what's going to save you. And, you know, forget faith by itself, but you've got to say the prayer too. Or, you know, faith plus communion, you know, whatever it might be. We, we might hear that on the outside, but more commonly, we don't hear that a lot. There are some denominations and groups um, within Christianity that, that claim that stuff. Uh, but more commonly inside a county, we hear and we see people teaching and believing that salvation is dependent upon faith plus how well we obey God. Right? That failure to obey perfectly makes us lose our salvation. That it depends on how good or how moral we are after coming to faith in Jesus it actually determines whether or not God is going to have mercy on us. That if you screw up, you've lost it. And you must do the work of telling God you're sorry in some prayer that you probably don't even really mean in order to get your salvation back. I lived believing this lie for years. And it is hell. It is complete slavery. You will live in nothing but fear. And this is why I get so amped about this kind of stuff. This is a lie from hell. We, we have to... Uh, I, don't even, I don't even know. It's not about being moral. We're going to get to that more. Or, or we might face this um, from ourselves. Right? So maybe it's coming from the outside, from another church telling us we have to obey a ritual. Or maybe it's coming from other people within the Protestant community or whatever of believers inside a county saying you have to be really good or you're going to lose your salvation, which whatever. Or, or we might face this from ourselves. Um, the, where we feel more secure or less secure in our salvation, depending on how well we're obeying. Um, so someone else doesn't have to tell you, you can convince yourself of this. And this is really frequent. Um, I see it all the time whenever people come to me for counseling or something. They're saying, you know, I'm really struggling in this one sin. I really can't forgive this person. I, I'm addicted to porn. I'm addicted to drugs. I really can't. I seem like I can't get over this. Am I saved at all because I'm not obeying? I, 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 I'm struggling right now. Am I saved? Did it take? So we have to be on guard against ourselves as well. Right? Um, but Paul calls people who advocate this view of faith plus anything. Faith plus works, faith plus ritual, faith plus obedience for salvation. He calls people who advocate that view, he calls them evil. Right? But why? 
Right? Why, why does Paul call these people evil? You know, like I, I thought about it. I was like, well, they might be like well-intentioned. Like I'm sure the preachers that I grew up listening to were well-intentioned. They were just trying to get me to obey God better, even though it was a garbage fear-based motivation, which means that you can never obey God because you love him. And Jesus says that's the first command, whatever. Um, but that maybe they have good intention for telling us that it's faith plus really good obedience to God that saves you. Um, and I came to this conclusion, regardless of their intent or whatever, it is evil to teach this kind of garbage because this kind of thought takes the focus off of Jesus and it puts the focus on human beings. Essentially, it says, yeah, Jesus died on the cross and you must have faith in him, but then you must do something else, which means that it's mainly about Jesus, but ultimately your salvation rests on your own shoulders. It takes the focus off of what Christ has done and put it onto, well, what are you gonna do with it? Now, I'm here to tell you, and you might think this is strong language, whatever. That is anti-Christ. That is anti-gospel. There, there was a, a Puritan uh, that, that, that once said, you know, be it all of grace or none of grace at all. It's either all about Jesus or it's all about you. There cannot be a mix, right? But we have to be on guard against this kind of teaching. But pressing on Philippians 3, 3 through 6 Paul says, for we who worship by the spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Right? So, so to combat this idea of faith plus works or faith plus obedience to the law for salvation, Paul tells us that the kind of people who truly know God, who have truly experienced salvation, are the people who rely on what Christ has done and put no confidence in their own, confidence in their own effort. Right? That, that we are never putting our own efforts at obedience to God into the equation about our salvation, right? It's all about Jesus for people who really know God, right? He calls them the true circumcision, the people who are really made right with God, right? But, but just to illustrate, right, and, and lay down how worthless trying to be good enough to be saved is, Paul decides to give us a front row seat to how good that he was and what he's concluded about it all. Right, so in the immediate context for the Judaizers that Paul was talking to, these people who said you had to be Jewish in order to be a Christian, uh, you had to be Jewish first, circumcised and all that, Paul lays out, okay, you want to play that game? Let me show you how good I am at being obedient. Right? He says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old, which is exactly what the, the Judaizers were pushing for, is that Christians be circumcised. He said, I was an Israelite like a, a pure-blooded Israelite. I was of the tribe of Benjamin, which was a very prestigious, uh, aristocratic tribe in Israel. And he says, I was a Hebrew among Hebrews, which is kind of cool because a lot of Jews back then, they would assimilate to Greek culture and they would quit speaking Hebrew and they would quit reading Hebrew and all that stuff. And, uh, and Paul says, actually, I went out of my way to learn how to speak Hebrew and read Hebrew so that I could study the scripture better than you can. Right? So if you want to talk about being Jewish, being, having anything to do with your salvation to the Judaizers in their context in Philippi, he's saying, I'm better than all of you because you're Greek Jews. I'm an actual Israelite Jew. Right? But for our context, the last three things that he talks about really hit home for us. He says, I was a Pharisee. 
Right, Pharisee actually means separated ones. Like they separated themselves from the rest of society with how much they obeyed God's law. Um, it, they, they had the strictest standards. They studied the law the most. They knew the most, and they put the most into practice, at least on the skin level, of, uh, or yeah, yeah, like surface level on obeying externally. He says he was zealous for the law. He felt so passionately about the law that he went out to kill Christians who were claiming that the law was worthless to save. Right, and he says, and as for my obedience to the law, I was faultless, absolutely faultless. No one could look at me and ever see at any point in my life where I ever screwed up in obeying what God tells, tells us to do. Right? But I want to make a distinction here. Paul's not saying that he was sinless at all. Right? Sin is in the heart. Paul knows this, and it's just as bad as visible sin. Right? Um, you don't murder someone uh, unless you hate them first. Sin starts in the heart. You don't commit adultery unless you lust after someone who's not your wife first. And all sin goes that way. It starts in the heart, and then it works your way out into your hands. Right? But everyone has sinned in their heart. Paul knows that. And we need to know that. And it's just as damning as an actual visible sin. But Paul's saying externally, from what you could see, you could never find someone more moral than me. I was perfect at external obedience. Right? So if anyone had any reason to think that I have been good enough, so God must be cool with me, it was Paul. Right? And for us in, in our context here inside of county, that might be you know, the person who's never had sex until they were married or who's never been drunk or never did drugs or you know, never said a cuss word um, or always went to church. Right? Those perfect people. Right? I hate those people, don't you? Um, that sounded really pastor-like. Um, right? Like these outwardly righteous people. Um, you know, and people like that tend, not always, but tend to look to these kind of things for their justification. I call this redneck theology. Um, and I see it all the time at the store I work at where I ask someone, you know, do you think you'll go to heaven when you die? Do you think God will greet you as a friend whenever you breathe your last tear? And I hear this a lot. You know, I work my job. I go home. I love my wife. I take care of my kids. I stay out of trouble with the law. I'm good to my neighbors. I don't hurt anybody. Me and God are on good terms because I'm a good person. I hear that a lot. Remember, if anyone's going to call themselves a good person, it was Paul. Right? There's no one that we know, there's no one in our time that obeyed the law like Paul did. That was as, as externally moral and righteous as Paul was on the outside. But check this out. Paul says this to, re, to rebut that kind of stuff. I once thought these things were valuable. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. So what Paul's doing essentially is if, if Paul's making, he's using a lot of accounting terminology in Greek here. If he's making a profit loss column here, He's, he's saying that everything is absolutely changed because of Christ. All the things that were in the profit margin that he thought could buy him salvation or justify him or make him righteous in the eyes of God, they have disappeared. And he now considers them all worthless. He uses some very strong languages. I consider them all garbage or dung because of what Christ has done. 
because of Jesus, right? But, but what did Jesus do to make Paul view everything as worthless? That's the first thing. Like, what could Jesus have done that makes Paul think that his righteousness isn't good, that makes Paul think that his obedience to the law um, wasn't good enough, that makes Paul think all, all his Jewishness wasn't good enough? And I started thinking about what Christ did. Christ has revealed everyone's sin. If you don't believe me, read Matthew chapter 5. And then if you still feel brave, read chapter 6 and 7. Uh, it's the Sermon on the Mount. It's what Jesus taught throughout his entire ministry at, at different points. He, that's where he says, if you've looked at a woman with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. So you may not have committed external adultery, but you are still guilty before God for rebelling against his commands of don't lust. You may have never committed murder, but you've hated people. And you're still guilty before God and deserving of damnation and hell for eternity because you hate someone that's just as bad as murder. Christ has revealed everyone's sin. All sin is in the heart. So Paul sees what, and knows what Jesus has taught, and he's realizing, oh my gosh, all of my external righteousness is garbage because all my sin's in my heart. And then Christ, further, he obeys the sin without fault, both internally and externally. He never even desires to sin. He is absolutely sinless. And then whenever Christ goes to the cross, he pays the penalty for our sin. He suffers our hell on the cross that we deserve. He suffers the wrath of God and the justice of God that we deserve because we have rebelled against him. And then says, if you have faith in me, I'll give you my righteousness. You don't need your own righteousness because you have none. I'll give you mine. Obedience to the law has been fulfilled through Jesus. And our wrath has been suffered by Jesus. And then to do away with the concept that you must be of a certain nationality for salvation or whatever, Christ has offered salvation to people from all groups. So in one foul swoop, whenever we consider what Jesus has done and whenever Paul considers what Jesus has done, everything goes to the trash. Because if you notice, of all those things that I just said, Paul had nothing to do with any of those things. Paul had nothing to do with Jesus, to do with what Jesus did. We have nothing to do with what Jesus did. Paul says that everything is worthless because of what Christ has done. Not because of what we have done or what we will do in the future or what we will do after we come to faith, but everything is worthless. Our obedience is worthless because of what Christ has done. And then Paul says that in order that he may gain Christ, that in order that he may be forgiven of sin and experience peace and no true love and no true life and no true freedom, he says, he has discarded everything. He's discarded it. His own goodness. He's let it go, counting it all as garbage so that he could gain Christ. And this tells me something that I think that we miss. I think that we all need to hear. In order to lay hold of Christ and experience his salvation, we have to empty our hands. We cannot hold on to Christ while we are still trying to hold on to our own goodness by trying to save ourselves by obedience. You cannot hold on to Christ while you're still clutching your own goodness and morality as a means of salvation. We have to become desperately dependent on Jesus. We have to acknowledge that the law is impossible to obey perfectly and that our only hope is in Jesus' perfection and perfect obedience to the law. We have to become aware of our own desperation and our own spiritual bankruptcy. That's why Paul says, I no longer count on my own righteousness through obedience, but I become righteous through faith in Christ. We have to let go of trying to earn God's love, and we have to let go of trying to earn God's forgiveness. 
in order to lay hold of Christ. But what does Paul mean by faith? Right? That, that's, that's, the, that's the real hang here. Okay, salvation depends upon faith. What does faith mean? Right? Why does that save? What, what is faith? Um, and and this, is, this is the best bare bones answer that I can give you. Faith is trust in God's promise. We, get, we could do a whole other sermon on this. Faith is trusting in God's promise. If we go back to the first book of the Bible, we go back to Genesis, God appears to Abraham and says, hey, I'm going to bless the nations through you. Right? It's going to be through your bloodline that I send my Messiah, that Jesus is going to come through Abraham's bloodline, and the world is going to be saved through Christ. And what does it say? It says, Abraham believed, and God credited it to him as righteousness. Even back in Genesis, faith, he trusted God's promise to do what seemed impossible. And that made him righteous in the eyes of God. All the sin that Abraham had committed, God said, I don't know it anymore. I've counted you as righteous because you just believe that I'm going to be faithful to my word. Right? For us, uh, with Christ, it's, it's that we trust God's promise that Jesus has made us right with him. Right? And God confirmed this promise. This is the best. We have proof. God confirmed his promise to us by raising Christ from the dead. The resurrection is our proof that sin has been paid in full by Jesus and that our account has been settled and God no longer owes us any justice for our sin. And that we no longer must be perfectly obedient to the law in order to be saved. Faith is believing that God will be faithful to his own word. We have to abandon our own attempts at saving ourselves. And we have to wholly rely on Jesus. Because that's our trusting God to be faithful. That's faith. That's true faith that saves. If we go back to to the Gospels, that's why Jesus himself said, you have to come to me like children. Children are completely dependent upon their parents. They have complete trust in their parents, that their parents are going to be faithful to their word to the child. That's why Jesus says we have to come like children. We have to be completely dependent on Christ and trust God's promise. Salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone. That's what Paul's driving at. That's what I'm driving at. That's what I want to just impart into you guys, right? This is the most important truth that we can ever know, right? This truth is so important for us because we have a tendency to judge our own salvation by how well we're doing, by how well we're obeying. And that's absolutely damaging to us at best. It's it's slavery, thinking that God loves you more or loves you less or you're saved more or saved less or you have more confidence in your salvation depending on how well you've been obeying that week, that's anti-gospel. That's anti-faith. That's anti-Christ. It disregards the effective work of Christ's sacrifice. Again, because you're taking the focus off of what Jesus has done and you're putting the focus on how well can I obey. Right? Thinking that our salvation is gained and lost by our goodness and obedience is the opposite of faith. Faith is trusting God's promise, to trust him to be true to his word. And God's word to us is, I have made you righteous in my sight by the works of my son, not yours. We have to know that. And this text that, that Paul wrote is so important for us because it strips every single person bare of their own goodness. Their own goodness, their own morality, of their own moral living. And it shows us our utter helplessness without faith in Christ. Because if anyone was to be saved apart from Christ, it was Paul. I don't measure up to Paul's standard. I know you guys don't measure up to Paul. And yet even Paul 
was damned without Christ. So we have to cast off as garbage any notion that goes against faith alone in Christ alone. Any notion at all that puts you into the equation whatsoever, you have to take out of your mind so that you can lay hold to salvation in Christ. Right? And, and I'm not saying that good works aren't important at all. I'm not saying to go out and do what you want because it's all about faith. That's not what I'm saying at all. Um, you know, works are evidence of faith and they're good as proof to our salvation, right? But it's only genuine trust in God's promise that saves. And like we always say at Rev, that kind of trust and that kind of faith in what God has said about Jesus, that I've made you righteous by him, that I've, I've done what seems impossible through him, it makes us love God. It makes us grateful, which in turn makes us want to be obedient, right? But, but know this, right? No amount of raw goodness, right? No amount of just merely summoning out of like your own will to be obedient uh, in order to make God accept you is ever going to do. Right? If, it's not, if your obedience is not brought on because you love God because of his promise, then it is self-righteousness in the most literal way that, that you can take that word. It is self-righteousness, not Christ's righteousness, which is, in essence, idolatry of our own goodness. It's the idolatry of self. Right? It's not working out your love of God so that you obey. It's merely us trying to save our own skin if it's not done because we love God. And in doing so, whenever we're just trying to be good enough to, to make God accept us, we are making a mockery of the cross of Christ. We're saying that we don't need Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. We don't need Christ's righteousness given to us. Or we need Jesus plus something else. And that, in effect is saying that Jesus died for nothing. Because if one person could have been made right with God by being good, then Christ died for no reason. And if one person has to do anything other than believe, then that means Christ really did nothing on the cross because your salvation actually depends on you and Christ was not effective in anything that he did. And God will not be mocked. Christ's sacrifice will not be belittled. Christ will never play second fiddle or even have a second player near him at all. That's why trying to save ourselves by obedience deserves damnation in hell because it mocks what Christ has done and it insists that we don't need him and nothing could be more false than that. So if you're here and you're a Christian and you're struggling in sin, I want you to be comforted. You cannot un earn your salvation because you did not earn it to begin with. Whatever sin you're struggling in, if you, if you find yourself questioning your salvation, I, I ask you one question. Do you trust God's promise? Do you trust that God will be faithful to his own word, that Jesus has reconciled you to him? Do you trust God? If yes, then keep fighting your sin. Keep resisting, but rest in Christ's perfection. Cling to it. Pursue obedience, but know that your salvation is not about you. It's about Christ and God's faithfulness to himself. All right, and if you're here and you don't trust Christ, the Bible says believe and be saved. Trust God's words about Jesus and be forgiven. No peace. Know what it means to lay your head down and say, there's no more striving. It's all about Christ. It's been secured. Stop trying to please God by being good and cling to the cross of Christ for salvation. 
So if you're here and you're not a Christian and any of this is registering at all, please come talk to anyone that's going to be on this stage. We want to pray with you. We want to explain what it means to follow Jesus. We want to explain what Christ did on the cross and how that makes us right with God. But it's by faith alone. Believe and be saved. And furthermore, if you're a Christian and you're struggling, please come see any of us that's on this stage. We want to pray with you. We want to encourage you. We want to help you defeat this sin as much as we can. But if you're not a believer, know this. There is no hope outside of Christ. You already stand damned in your sins because you've already disobeyed God at least once. And you were born a sinner, not even to, to, to add that. But Christ is your only hope. You're a sinner, but Christ is the great savior of sinners. All right, but I'll leave you guys with, with this. Trust Christ. Believe in him. Don't rely on yourself. Rely on Jesus' finished work. Your salvation was never about you. Jonah says, salvation is of the Lord. The author of Hebrews says, Jesus is the author and perfecter of our salvation. Your name is not mentioned in either one of those passages ever. God is. He's the one who initiated your salvation. His Holy Spirit's the one that brought you to faith in Christ. His Holy Spirit's the one that's going to keep you and has sealed you as a down payment for the resurrection body that you're going to receive. It's all about God. Jesus made you right with God, not you. Don't rely on yourself. Trust in Christ. So in your failure, in your moral failure, look to Christ as your perfection and your righteousness. Thank God for Christ doing that and then keep fighting against your failure. Trust God's promise in spite of yourself. And that is really hard to do sometimes because we know how bad of a sinner we are more than anyone else. We know how crazy it sounds that God would continue to forgive us. We know how crazy it sounds that it depends nothing on me but all on Christ, right? And that's because the gospel is scandalous. Grace is scandalous. Salvation by faith is scandalous. In our lives here as human beings, we earn everything that we get as far as we can see. You work, you buy things, you earn it all, but this is the one thing that God says, I just, I just give it to you. Just believe that I've given it to you. It's scandalous. It's almost too good to be true. That's why it's called good news. Right, but if you're not morally failing and you're being really obedient right now, I, I pray that you would stay in obedience and not stray to the right or left at all, but you would stay right where you're at and continue to be as obedient as you know how to Christ. Right? But even in your moral successes, don't become proud because it's still all about Jesus. You're still only saved by faith in what Jesus has done. You don't matter. Jesus does. Whether you're failing or succeeding, you don't matter. Everything is always about Jesus. And from now until eternity and eternity past, everything has always been about Jesus. And it always will be about Jesus. By grace you have been saved through faith, not works, lest any man should boast. Christ is our hope. He is our salvation. Faith alone. Christ alone. Let's pray. Father, you are so good to us. You say that we've been reconciled to you by what your son has done and not us. And that is good news because we could never fulfill your perf perfect requirement. 
God, thank you for sending Christ. Thank you for your Holy Spirit bringing us to faith. God, I pray that, that we would rest in what Christ has done in spite of ourselves and in spite of our own failure. God, I pray anyone here that doesn't know Jesus, that your spirit would attract them to Jesus and open their eyes to the gospel and show them that this is beautiful, that this is good news. God, I pray we would take this message and find comfort in it and find rest in it. And because of its beauty, just be inspired to go and tell people salvation is not about you, it's about Christ. Trust in Christ. God, thank you so much for what you've done through Jesus. Thank you so much for it not being about us. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.